1 Timothy chapter 2. I uh, had actually thought about uh, or planned and have something ready for Exodus chapter 17, and we will get back to that. Um, but this is, um, uh, we're uh, coming upon uh, an election period, and uh, always like to, and uh, what, early voting starts next week, right? I think it is. Another, it's already started. Man, it's already started. Okay, well, anyway, yeah, see, it's already late. So um, I always like to take a little bit of time and just uh, challenge you about every, it's actually every two years, okay? So you hear every two years something in regard to our role and our responsibility in, in view of government. And uh, so we try to take a Sunday night and just look at that. And I, I want you to take a look at First Timothy chapter 2 with me. And uh, I hope you'll be stirred and challenged about uh, the involvement God wants you to have. What is a Christian supposed to do? I don't think anyone in this room uh, doesn't understand or at least know that a Christian should be involved in politics and to at least some degree. Uh, but in Christianity today, you know, there are really people on both sides of the spectrum. And since there are... I think it's always good for us to look at the Word of God and try to find answers there and, and be reminded of the fact that God has spoken and has given us direction and instruction in this matter. Uh, some argue that po political involvement at all in any way, shape, or form is wrong. And then there's uh, others who are heavily involved in politics. And, uh, and then there's all the whole spectrum in the middle, you know, and, uh, and which is generally the case in, in most things. Uh, there's people all over the map when it comes to involvement, how a Christian or if a Christian should be involved. Churches, should churches be involved? Should preachers ever deal with it? Well, you obviously know preachers, uh, this preacher believes you should deal with it because we do and we have. Uh, and this evening won't be any exception as we look at the subject in, there in the passage uh, before you. Uh, an evangelical, though, it was interesting to me, was writing on the subject of should a Christian be involved, and he, he kind of expressed two basic views. He was one who was certainly in favor of a Christian being involved in voting and, and uh, participating in, in, in elections, uh, but he also wrote about someone who was on the other side, and it was interesting. Here's what he wrote. He said, I have huge respect for Dr. Mark Knoll, and I don't know him. He said he's a first-rate scholar, a thinker, a historian, and that's why I'm so saddened by an essay he wrote titled, None of the Above, Why I Won't Be Voting for President. This was back, actually, I think about two years ago uh, where, uh, when, when the presidential election was going on. And he wrote, he continued on, as has been the case for the past few presidential elections uh, on election day, this is what Noel wrote, by the way, uh, I will almost certainly cast my vote once again for none of the above. And he went on to list seven issues and convictions about those issues. Race, the value of life, taxes, trade, medicine, religious freedom, the international rule of law. And he said, Noel writes, My position on each is related to how I understand the traditional Christian faith that grounds my existence. Yet neither of the major parties is making a serious effort to consider this particular combination of concerns or even anything remotely resembling it. And so, because both parties and their nominees are flawed, 
this writer said, Noel will vote for no one. And his response was, that position is dead wrong and damaging to democracy, which I think we'd probably all be in agreement with. It's the utopian notion which assumes divine perfection in fallen humans. His assumption that we can support only candidates who have perfect scores according to our reading of the Bible makes me wonder how he votes at all. And if that is the standard, all of us should stop voting completely. But that's exactly what the fundamentalist movement did in the early part of the 20th century. Interesting thought. A, a movement Mark Knoll correctly criticizes over that. Their error, he said, was allowing perfectionism to get in the way of their responsibility to act for the common good. It's an error we can't afford to repeat, not this year, not ever. Voting is not an option for Christians. It's a biblical duty because by voting, we carry out God's agency. We are his instruments for appointing leaders. And then he said something. I don't know if I would agree with this, this application, but he said, just like Samuel in the Old Testament, we're commissioned to find the very best people we can who are best able to lead us. Not to vote or turn down both presidential candidates because they're not perfect on a biblical score sheet is a dereliction, dereliction sorry, of biblical responsibility. It seems rather important um, that we understand what God has said. And really, it seems ultimately important and vitally important that we understand what God has said. So let's look at this passage and let's consider some truths uh, for us. The Bible says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now the thought continues on, but the main point and the main focus that we're going to draw attention to would be the truth laid out in the first few verses of this chapter. Now, let me say this as we begin, it's, and it's really important for us to state this. There's a point or purpose of this passage, and it's not about political involvement. Now, there's a lesson to be learned about political involvement, but this message is not about, and the passage is not about political involvement. The passage is about prayer. God is instructing us in the matter of prayer. He wants us to know some things that are very important. Now, in praying, he teaches us something about government and teaches us something about our responsibility, but we can't neglect the fact that prayer is indeed the, the focus and, and, and prayer is the great responsibility of God's people. And if you miss that point, then you miss the intent of the passage, and we don't want to do that. And we're going to focus on it. In fact, I find it very challenging because as I look at this passage, just about every time I, I preach on it, I get convicted about how, uh, how much I need help in this matter of prayer for authorities. Because I find that, um, and maybe you find the same thing, I really have 
I, I, I spend more time in prayer when it's an election time. I spend more time in prayer when there's some vital issue going on that has been brought up that they're voting on for leadership. And then it seems like a lot of times during those other periods, I can kind of let prayer for authorities wane. And I can forget about the fact that God has given me an instruction that applies to not just a certain time of the year, not just when there's a big issue, not just when there's a problem going on in our country, but God has called me to pray for my leaders all the time because they need my prayer all the time. So let's look at this and let's see what God has to say. And, uh, and quite frankly, I just put it as our role in government. I do have an outline. It's very short. So I almost was tempted not to have one, but there you, there, there you go. You have an outline. You can fill it out if you'd like, and if not, uh, it's white paper so you can actually draw pictures and have fun with it, all right? And I know some of you will. All right. <laughs> I'm teasing. But let's first of all look at the importance of involvement, and that's involvement in government through prayer. And, by the way, he's not just talking about government because he says at the end of verse 1 that prayer should be made for what? For all men, all right? Just us here, okay? So let's look at these things, and let's see, uh, and let's learn about the importance of involvement through means of and by means of prayer. There are two things as the topic of involvement in, in politics. It, this is talking, by the way, about involvement in politics. Do you know that? It is. Although the focus is prayer, it is talking about a Christian being involved in politics. And I'm going to prove that to you a little bit later on as we get into these verses. But there's two things he mentions that kind of give us this idea that it's important for us to be involved in politics and uh, involved in it. And we see, first of all, a clear expectation. And these two things are found in this expectation. I exhort, therefore, right there, we start with, here is a man who's coming, and the word exhort there, or exhortation, carries the idea of begging someone. So when Paul comes and he introduces this section, he says, hey, look, I, I'm begging you to do this. I am begging you to be involved in politics in this way. So what he's going to teach us, uh, we need to understand that there is a clear expectation. This is, he stresses the importance of prayer, which ultimately affects government. Um, the wording is very strong here. I just, I'm begging of you to be involved in this. And then notice the second statement. I exhort therefore that, first of all, and that is one of the, the statements that's interesting as well, because it's emphasizing um, it, the expectation he has. God saw this matter that he's going to share as paramount to our lives. One writer in, state, in talking about this, first of all, said this, that is, as the first duty to be enjoined, the thing that is to be regarded with primary concern. Now, I stop right there, and here's, here's why I get into the, I always get convicted when I get to this passage. I asked myself the question, do I regard prayer for men and government as a primary concern in life? Now, I might be able to argue, okay, I do see the need to pray for men. I do see the need to care about all men, as he talks about in that passage. But I have asked myself the question as we're talking specifically about government this evening, or at least trying to go that direction. 
I've asked myself the question if I've seen that as paramount. And again, I go to the, the fact that many times I see the paramount need for it when they're going to be voting on some legislation about whether to legalize marriage for, for homosexuals. But sometimes I can get to the place where I don't see it as a paramount important, of, of paramount importance um, at other times when there maybe aren't issues that are being brought up. And yet God says, hey, look, get this. I'm begging you to see and make this a priority in your life, that you would pray not only for all men, but that you would pray for your leadership. And to me, I find it intriguing that Paul wrote so much about government and wrote positive things about government because there wasn't a lot of positive things about government involved in his life. In the sense that they were always out to get him. You know, I mean... Quite honestly, you, you look at Paul and he spent a lot of time in prison. And we kid about the fact that whenever Paul went into a city, he went to the jail first to see where he'd be staying after a few days. You know, and then he went out to preach. And, and, and I've heard people kid about that a lot. And, and it really it almost was somewhat true. And yet this guy tells us this is of paramount importance. I want you to, to see this as essential in your life. And I think he knew something. They say, well, he knew a few things. I think he knew that the temptation in life is to just get upset with leadership about the way they're treating us and get all bent out of shape about what they're doing to Christians or what they're doing in, in matters of morals. And we forget that we're supposed to be involved by praying. And so in emphasizing this and begging Timothy to teach this to the people and then begging Timothy, not only begging him, but then saying, look, make this of primary importance in your life to help people understand Timothy and preach this and, and tell people to make it important and a primary thing in their life to pray for those in authority. Because the, the truth of the matter is, if you don't, you might very well have a bad attitude about him and about what's going on and about the decisions they're making and about the choices they're making. And here's the thing, if you understand this passage, you understand that it is indeed political involvement for a Christian to pray. Because prayers can sway the heart of leaders. So for someone who says Christians shouldn't be involved in politics, God says pray. And that's political involvement. It is direct political involvement in the lives of people. So we have a clear expectation and then a challenging exhortation. Now, the fact that believers are to pray for leaders is clear, but it's challenging because it suggests there's value in involvement. Notice verse 2 again, for kings and for all that are in authority, here's how we, we part of our prayer, that we would lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So when I pray, one of the things I'm going to be praying about, and there's another thing that is, is probably the, the, you would say, the more important thing, but that's because it will affect this, is that I am to be praying for and understanding that when I pray, I'm getting involved in their life. Because as the Bible says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he turneth it whithersoever he will. Aren't you thankful for that? 
So then, if God has control over the heart of men to turn it where it needs to be, then I indeed have great power when I kneel to pray because I'm talking to God about this person and asking God to work in their heart so that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. Let me tell you, prayer for leaders is political involvement. In fact, very powerful political involvement because it may cause them to vote for things they wouldn't vote for. It's true. So God tells me I'm supposed to be involved in this important task. Um, and, uh, you know, some people say I, I don't get involved in politics because involvement won't do anything or change anything, but God says it will. It can and it will. So get involved in it. And by the way, if it's wrong to influence our country through voting, then it would be equally wrong for a Christian to pray for leaders. Think about that statement, I know. If it's wrong to influence our country through voting, which a Christian should do, then it would be equally wrong for you to pray for leaders because in praying for leaders, you affect the votes that are, are the, the votes that are made and you affect the laws that are made in this land just as you are in the matter of voting. And I think we can make a tie, although the passage certainly isn't talking about voting. Um, if we're to pray for us to be able to lead a quiet and peaceable life, it makes perfect sense to say that God would have us vote for people who are going to vote for the, a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and honesty. I mean, that, that, that would be a natural progression. You got to understand that when this was written, this was written in, in, in a government that was in absolute control over the children of Israel, the Roman government. They didn't have any say. They didn't have any choice. They didn't choose who Caesar was going to be, nor could they influence any laws at all. But Paul saw at least what they could do is pray and that God could turn their hearts if they would be involved in this matter of prayer. So look, we're not going to find in the Bible, go out and vote. Because truth is, there really weren't periods in time in history or any governments, if you would, per se, that allowed people to choose the leaders they were going to have over them. So we won't find that. But if we find God to encouraging us to pray for this, then if we have a chance to alter it, we should be involved as well. All right, so we see, first of all, the importance of involvement through prayer. And there's an expectation and there's an exhortation in this passage, both. Um, the instruction of involvement by prayer. So look at the duty. In verses 1 and 2 we, and verse 4, we find, first of all, the duty. Uh, look at it. First, I exhort, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, I'll get the words out, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Stop right there. Um. I want you to think about this. Why did Paul use four different ideas about prayer, um, which ultimately tell us to pray? Absolutely, because each presents a different aspect of prayer. 
And herein lies, I think, part of the challenge of this passage that, quite honestly, was made a little bit clearer to me. And I mean, I knew this truth, but was made clearer to me as I was studying out this time. Um, it would be absolutely unnecessary to say anything other than pray. Pray for all men. Pray for your leaders. If the author didn't want us to focus in and hone in on the fact that there are different kinds of prayer and all those kinds of prayer are needed for men and for government leaders. And this has been a great challenge to me because many times when I pray for leaders, I might pray for their salvation, which is good, um, and I might pray for individual situations, but I'm not so sure that I often follow all of these things. And I want you to think about them, and I want to ask you the question, do you and you're praying? Now, look, again, if his point was pray, then all he would have to say is pray. But his point wasn't just pray. His point was there's a lot of different needs that our leadership have. There's a lot of different needs that men have, and they require that we pray differently. Okay, first word, supplication. General word for prayer, just the idea that petitions are needed. And if you don't know that, all you got to do is watch the news. Petitions are needed for our leadership, just general prayer. Uh, because uh, many of them, quite honestly, have grown up in a society that, that says, in essence, you're your own God. You're a product of evolution. Whatever you think is fine. And, uh, and as a result, we got people voting on all sorts of things and bringing up all sorts of things. And, and, uh, and so they definitely need just general, regular prayers. But he doesn't end there. He doesn't just say, well, look, you just generally need to pray for all men. Then the second word, prayers, if we're going to understand, those two are actually used sometimes interchangeably, supplication and prayer. Sometimes one and the, and the other are found in the same passage, and they're both referring, if you would, to the same thing. But when they're both together, one is talking about general prayers. The other would be talking about a little bit more sincere time of prayer, an earnest petition before God. Uh, more, more, if you would, more intense, a greater time of prayer. And, and my friends, it's absolutely necessary we do that. When important decisions are being made, a believer ought to give themselves at times, maybe even to a season of prayer for those making tough decisions. When we're made aware of a vote on whether, whether by the way, homosexuals can marry because God says they can't marry but the government may sanction it anyway so then when that situation comes up it might be a time where we need to just go give more earnest prayer to this matter because we know issues are being brought up so there's regular just general petitions but then there's more intense prayers that God expects sincere prayer in times of need but look at what he says there, because he doesn't end it. Then he brings up what? Thirdly, intercessions. What is intercession? Okay, so, so think about this. There are going to be times where we know that our leaders are going through difficult times. And we're not just talking about voting about things. They're going through difficult times. By the way, 
basically any conservative running for office is going to be going through difficult times. There's going to be things said about them that they can't defend and they can't say they can't do anything about. It's just going to happen because we live in a wicked world and there's there's just anything's game for a lost world. So then intercession would be going to bat on behalf of someone who's hurting and who has a great need. Uh, some of our politicians are under great stress and pressure to get involved in things that are immoral and bad and sinful, maybe even to take payoffs. And there are times where they need intercession on our behalf. Uh, by the way, they have family crisis, crises. They have physical needs. We hear sometimes about elected officials who are battling with cancer or, or who have some, some medical situation come up or something happen in their life, and they need someone to intercede on their behalf. And, you know, that is our job. And honestly, the intercession part is something that I think I've just kind of, you know, glossed over many times as I've gone to this passage. And I haven't considered the fact that just like people in our church at times need someone to go to bat for them, so our leaders do. There's a lot of temptations as a leader. Temptations maybe to vote for legislation that they're not even in agreement with, but it'll give them some favor in some other area. There's just a lot of areas in which our leaders really do need us to intercede. And as this world get waxes worse and worse, there's going to be more times they need intercession on our behalf. So, um, you know, let's, let's be willing to go to bat for them. And, and when, when we hear about uh, maybe some story that comes out about, about uh, an official either running for election or someone that's in office, and they start to be slandered in, in the media, and maybe we know differently, that's a time when we just need to get involved in some intercession in pleading with God. Um, so we have intercession. But then, and oh, this one hurts, but when I think of Paul, I say, Paul, why would you say this? What does he tell us? What's the last point? Yeah. And everything. So, so um, all right, you love me on this one. Um, thanking God when a right decision is made. Right? Amen. Thanking God when a wrong decision is made. Yeah, that's one we don't want to say amen to. But we're supposed to give thanks for them. And by the way, if I am already praying for them, and if I am already interceding on their behalf, and if I am at times intensely praying for them, then can I not give thanks knowing this? that if, if God saw the necessity of having the vote go the way I would want it humanly and, and would, which would provide for a, a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and honesty, that if God allowed it to go another direction, then God allowed it to go another direction because the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. So if I've been praying, I should be able to give thanks for any, any vote that ultimately is made because if I've been praying... God's been working. Does that make sense? So, and I, I, I do find it amazing. Paul, who was imprisoned and taken to Rome, 
because he appealed to Caesar um, and, if you would, was improperly imprisoned, was one who said to give thanks for government leaders who improperly imprisoned him. And uh, uh, it, it really is a, an amazing thing. So do you, here we go again, don't you find that challenging? But if we were to do more praying in the manners listed above on a regular basis, maybe we'd have a lot greater reason to give thanks for them. All right, so we not only find the duty, but let's, we find the direction. Now, this could go two ways. We find that prayers to be given for all men, for kings, for all authorities. And, and I'll, I'll say this, the direction would be, um, we might excuse involvement in prayer if we didn't have a king, you know, or we might come to this and say, well, we don't have kings, so it's fine. So I'm glad that God said, I want you to pray for all that are in authority. Because it's easy for us to excuse ourselves and to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. We don't have a king, so we're in good shape. No, it doesn't matter if you don't have a king, if you have authorities and you got someone to pray for. And uh, let's go ahead and do that. By the way, you're praying for your parents. Okay, that's for the young people. That was free. Um, so uh, we, the direction, it could be that God wants us to understand it, but the direction of prayer is better understood, I think, what, about what we're to be praying for or about. Now, the, what is the primary point of prayer for kings and authorities and all men? Look at it. Look at the passage and tell me, because I, I, I think it's clear. Maybe it isn't. We'll talk about it. What would be ultimately the direction of our praying? Okay, well, obviously, we would pray for God's will to be done. Very true. But in the passage, look at it, and what would be the primary concern in our prayers for men and for kings and those in authority? What? Okay, that they would, that's fair enough, because that we would live in, in a, a, a quiet, peaceable life in godliness and honesty. All right, fair enough. But is that the main focus? I think verse 3 tells us what the main focus would be. Well, so that we can live godly, yes. What? Okay, because it's pleasing to God. But look at verse 3, because what, where does he direct your attention? Two, what subject? Okay, the salvation of men, right? Now you say, why would he just jump right into that? Who would have all men to be saved? He's just, he hasn't finished. He's still talking about the subject of prayer. And although verse 2 talks specifically about how to pray for authorities and kings and, and, and those things, verse 3 really does give us the direction of, if you would, prayer. Ultimately, the direction of prayer for those in authority. Is it verse 4? I'm sorry. I don't have it right in front. Yeah, verse 3. Okay, is dealing with government kings. and. All right, who would have it? Okay, so that's why, that's why I confused you, didn't I? All right. That's what happens when you're not looking at it right in front of you. I'm going to need to carry the Bible down here. All right, so verse 4 tells you who would have all men to be saved. Thank you very much for getting that straightened out. Who would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And then there's one God and there's one meter. There's only one to be saved. So look, 
if you want to say, what is the direction of prayer? First and foremost would be that all men and that leaders and authorities would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and let me tell you that that would be the primary importance. Here, here's the reason why. Because if they get saved, then we're going to have someone voting for a, a quiet and peaceable life if they grow at all in their Christian life. I mean, if they start to understand who God is and what the Bible has to say at all in their Christian, in their Christian walk. So we got to start there, and that's where we should start as we pray for them. And as we intercede, God saved their soul. Our, our president needs Jesus Christ. The, the leader of the Senate and of the House both need Jesus Christ. Both both are not only under the influence of, but I, I would almost say directly influenced these days by Satan. Demon-possessed almost. Scary even say that. And they desperately need Jesus Christ. And uh, what a difference Jesus Christ would make in the, in the lives of just those three people. And our, the direction of our prayer really needs to be there. In fact, if you read the passage, that, that, that seems to be it. God wants, why would he just jump into this? Who would have all men to be saved? Because, because that would be the ultimate point of our praying, and that would be the first point, and that would be the most important, and that's going to take care of these other things. But we also are to be praying in the direction that they would make decisions that are going to lead for a quiet and peaceable life because not everyone is going to be saved. And not all of them are going to respond to the gospel, and, and some of them may never hear the gospel. And because of that, we're going to need God to intercede. And, and I, you know, it, it, it sounds real evil, but there is someone who can intercede and who can actually change their heart and make them vote for things or not vote for things. Someone asked why uh, Paul mentioned kings and authorities, and they answered it by saying this. I thought it was good. So much of life is dependent on their character, their integrity, and their plans. Peace, security of life, liberty rests on the decisions of kings and those in authority. And that is why we must pray. The same writer commented by saying this, God has the power to influence even the greatest men. And that is the reason to pray. Um, Brother Beal, I'm not sure he mentioned it in a message or maybe in conversation, but he just said this, you know, he said, I found that when I call now, I can often talk to a senator or I can talk to other people because he's the mayor of their town. What, 400 people, 500 people in the town. So he's the mayor of the town. And he'll, he'll call and say, I'm the mayor of such and such. And it doesn't matter what it is. As long as he says he's the mayor, it's almost like he has at least a hearing. That's kind of interesting. You know? but, but quite frankly, uh, you know, I... I I'm the pastor of Spring Meadow Baptist Church. Big deal. <laughs> uh, 
I, honestly, I, I can't get a hearing with the governor. Um, I, I don't even know if I can get a, well, I have talked to the chief of police in Franklin before, but uh, woo, hey, you know, but that's because I had a complaint and um, he was interested in hearing it out. Okay. Um, I think because he was afraid that we might, we might go on the news or something. But, um, you know, the truth is I don't have sway. You don't either. Even if you talk to a, polit a political, someone running for office, you, you know what to talk with, you know, it would just be, uh, do you have my vote? I mean, it would just be a shake of a hand or something like that. Pfft. You have no influence on that. Um, but God does. Um, and God has ultimate, um, ultimate control of the heart. It's an amazing thing. Um, so there's a lot of evil being voted on. We've already brought up those those subjects. Um, uh, since uh, rightfully so, because it was bad law, uh, the murder of babies uh, has been overturned, which is ridiculous to have to be overturned, but that's the way it is. It was bad law. Uh, now they want to make law, new law, um, and it's just sad that would give people the right to murder babies all the way up until birth, and it's just a few votes away. Um, I, I don't know about you. Some of those things are scary, um, tragic. But our God has the ability to turn the hearts of men when necessary to that which is right. And who knows if our prayer for one individual might actually keep something from being made law or might cause something to be made law. Um, for there be also mentioned this. Again, I, sometimes I, I, I can't reckon if it was, I don't think it was in a message where he said this, but he said he talked to one of the legislators that is, uh, is in his district or whatever, and she made the comment that the, um, the leaders in, in Congress right now, every time they have a vote, every time they have a vote, they are adding inclusive language about treating, giving equal rights to trans transvestites and all the all the the LGBTQ F A B C D E F G stuff. And so in every committee, in everything that's voted on, they have to remove that language. And he just was reminded that our leaders really need wisdom because because it's just this inclusive language is being put in everywhere, and if they don't catch it somewhere, it may very well be voted on. And so they've got to oppose it when it's first brought up and say, you've got to remove this language. And they'll remove it, but then they'll put it in the next thing. So everything that's come down, the lady said, every law they've passed at the beginning, they put that in. And so, you know, you, you would say, well, you're voting against, you know, you're, you're voting against lower gas prices or you're voting against this. And, and the truth is, in some cases, they're voting against the, 
the wicked little things that they've been trying to put in there. So look, our people need prayer. They need wisdom and they need guidance and they need our help. And, and here's, we can't help them in any other way, but we can pray for them. All right, so let me give you the implications of involvement. I'm going to just, uh, just share kind of the, 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 the point, all right? And, and I'll just make prayer is proper political involvement. And it is political involvement. In fact, the more I look at this passage, the more I'm convinced it's political involvement. You, you realize that when we're praying effectively, as we ought, for our leaders, we are we are influencing legislation. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Because I can't influence it in any other way, but I can through prayer. So prayer is proper political involvement. And then I'm going to say this because it, it's a natural tie to this. If we are to be praying that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life, then we have, if we have a, cho- a chance to put people in office who are going to vote for things that are going to lead to a, a quiet and peaceable life, then we can say affirmatively that God would have us to vote and only a fool wouldn't take advantage of that opportunity. Voting is proper political involvement. Now we could turn to other texts and share other points about why voting is right and important, but this passage lends support to the argument. If we can influence politics by praying for decisions to be made and we can influence politics by electing people to office that would vote that way, then it, it, it makes perfect sense to be able to argue that from this passage, we also have a principle that tells us a Christian ought to vote. Do, do you get the connection? Do you see that? It's important for us to, to, to grasp that. In preparing for this message, I came across a college professor dealing with the issue of political involvement, and he wrote something that I, was really worth contemplating. So, so listen to it, if you would. He said, you and I are not in the same position as first century Christians. They gathered together in catacombs and wondered what Caesar was going to do. But he said, instead, you and I are in both situations. We're the church trying to live out the mandate of the gospel and sharing the gospel, but we are at the same time Romans 13 authorities. What? No, we are. And he explained it by saying this, the authority in the United States of America is constitutionally invested, not in the White House, not in Congress, not in the Supreme Court, but ultimately in the people through their elected representatives. Is that true? So responsibility for using the sword wisely, for fair taxation, for all these things, ultimately rests with the people. When we're reading passages that refer to Caesar, we, read it, we should read it through two lenses. It's addressed to us as a church. Here's what we should do in view of leadership and authority. But it's also addressed to us as Caesar. Because our government has entrusted us and given us the responsibility and the right to elect representatives to go and vote for us. It's government by the people, for the people. And so the intent of our our leaders when they wrote the Constitution 
is for actually every person to be Caesar. And if that's the case, I really thought-provoking, but if that's the case, there's not a Christian that shouldn't vote. And that means you've got to find out what they believe, where they stand. And you can't have this all-or-nothing mentality because the truth is, if someone perfectly has to fit the scriptural model for you to vote for them, you won't vote for anyone. But quite honestly, if someone has to perfectly fit the mandate for any office, you'd have a hard time voting for any deacon. And that's not to a, a criticism of any man. You'd have a hard time voting for any pastor. Because when you look at scriptural mandates, God sets the standard, and he's not going to set the standard low. He sets the standard high. So you, you look for a pastor who, who fits 1 Timothy 3. You look for a deacon who fits 1 Timothy chapter 3. But if you're, you're saying they've got to be perfect in every area of their life in order for me to ever vote for them, then you're never going to vote for any of those offices. You're not going to vote for anything at all. Because you just are not going to find it. So then what a Christian does is say, who is going to vote for things that God tells me are going to provide for a quiet and peaceable life? Which one? Quite honestly, in most elections, it is very clear the difference between the two candidates running about who is going to be voting for things that most likely will allow us to live a quiet and peaceable life. And that's the person you vote for. Whether they're, they're the standard of morality and decency or not, whether they follow uh, the whole list of things, uh, to vote for, for no one is a, is a horrible thing, and it's a wrong thing. So may we just, may we be people who find out the facts and understand we have been given the authority by our government to choose who's going to vote for the kind of things that will lead to a quiet and peaceable life. So we're, we have responsibility on both sides. Praying for those who are in office, whether we voted for them or not, that God would work, and voting for those who we know are going to move in that kind of direction. And uh, by far the best thing to do would be to, to, to be involved on this side in the voting aspect from the standpoint of then you won't have to be you know, you know, praying that God turns their heart. But thankfully, we have influence on both sides. Isn't it? That's, that's kind of neat, isn't it? You think? I, I, got, I got power on both sides. Uh, even, even my enemies. And uh, may we just get involved in both sides of the battle and do our part. I uh, hope that helps you uh, just to think through this truth. And I hope it challenges you. I really do. Um, as I was reminded once again in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the importance of prayer. Um, and, and may we all be involved in that faithfully for those who are in authority. Father, thank you for your word. And thanks for giving us um, instruction and wisdom and guidance in the word of God in regard to whether a Christian ought to vote. Um, and what a Christian ought to do in regard to authorities. 
Help us to be people who do what we can to put the right kind of people in office who will vote for and promote uh, the things that will allow us to lead a godly and honest life. And then, Lord, help us to pray when we've done what we can on the other side. Uh, help us to pray for our leaders as we ought. And, um, and may that make a, uh, may we see the powerful difference that makes as we uh, fulfill our God-given responsibility to pray fervently for those in authority. And we'll thank you for what you'll do and how you'll help us in Jesus' name. Amen.